Hello and welcome to the Safe Travels podcast. I'm your host, Damian Tisdall. Safe Travels is the podcast that helps you enjoy worry-free travel. We interview experts about various topics and get tips so that you can travel worry-free. Today we're talking about planning travel for after coronavirus. We'll be joined by Janice Lintz, who is a writer for many publications. She's a consumer advocate. She has visited 139 countries and is working on the goal of visiting all the countries. She had a big trip that was derailed by coronavirus. In the show, she'll be talking about her strategy for booking post-coronavirus travel. In short, she's waiting. She doesn't want to book anything yet, but in the show, she will share what she's waiting for and why. She will also provide some general travel tips. Her motto is to travel well, but smart. There will be show notes and a transcript available. You can visit the show's Twitter feed to find links to that. The Twitter handle is safetravelsfm. So please enjoy this short conversation with Janice Lintz. Janice, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Janice, can you just share, for those who do not know, give us a little overview of your biography, what you do as far as travel goes, your area of expertise, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm traveling to every country in the world, and so far I've been to 139 UN countries and 194 countries, territories, and disputed nations. And my goal is to visit every country in the world. And what's your time frame for that? I, you know, I'm not, and now I'm really glad I don't have a time frame because as we're going to discuss, I have no idea when I'm going to return to travel, but I have never wanted to put a time frame on because I didn't want to speed around the world with no judgment to people who are, it's not the right style of travel for me. And mm. I want to spend whatever amount of time I think a particular country requires. So there are some countries I might spend less time and sometimes like I just recently spent three weeks in Miramar because for me, it warranted that. I don't want to feel like I'm in and out of a country. I have extreme FOMO, fear of missing out. And so mm. for me to go somewhere and miss something like gives me agita. I just don't want to miss things. So by putting a deadline, I feel like it's also a finality and I'm planning to live a long life. So I view this as a life goal. Not I'm not going for a record. I think all the records have been done. And I, I don't really, for me, you know, foot planting is not an objective. I'm too curious. I need to see everything. And with that goal, I'm sure you've done your research. Does something stand out as what's going to be the challenging country? What's going to be the one that's hard to cross off the list? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, there are definitely some dangerous or perceived dangerous countries. I'm hoping by the time I get to them, they will be less dangerous or they're mm. not dangerous because opportunities will arise so, for example, I went to Iraq with a group of extreme travelers, and they had an incredible fixer. And so he was so knowledgeable, and the person who organized the trip was so knowledgeable. It was Untamed Borders who organized the trip. And they put everything into place that I felt very comfortable, like I was in good hands. So when you're with, and because everybody on that trip was some of the most world-traveled people in the world, I didn't feel unsafe. So mm. when there are opportunities to be in those type of situations, countries that seem unsafe at the time, and I was there a year ago, a year ago, October, and everything seemed and appeared fine. Was it? I, I am not an expert to be able to tell, but I've also been to countries like Somaliland or Eritrea that have the perception of being unsafe. And I never felt unsafe at any time. So not to say, you know, anecdotal evidence is a basis to determine safety, 
but it's hard to know. And I, I don't know how many of the countries I have left to do that are perceived as dangerous really are. I think sometimes the media makes things out of nothing and sometimes it's warranted, but it's hard to know until you're there. And you do a lot of writing as a profession. Is that correct? I'm, I haven't been writing for a publication recently. I did write one article recently, but I haven't really been writing because I'm supposed to be working on a book which has progressed slowly. It's very hard to travel and write at the same time if you really want to travel. And also when you're traveling, I've seen the bloggers, they're changing outfits, wearing adorable outfits. I don't want my clothes to be the focus of my travel and and changing outfits multiple times and spending so much time achieving the perfect photo. I really actually want to travel. So it's hard to do both at the same time. And I've watched bloggers, when they're doing it, they're spending more time getting the perfect photo. And it's, I think, helpful if you have a partner that you're with to take the photo than just asking a random stranger. And I, I just think it, it consumes more time and they spend less time traveling. I'd rather spend more time traveling. Sounds like you're talking about them focusing more on the content that they're trying to produce than on the, the travel part of the trip. Exactly. And, you know, I, I want to focus on the travel part of the trip. What was the last country that you crossed off the the list? What was the last place that you visited for the the first time? Well, I just came back from a two-month trip through that was a circumnavigation of the globe. So I started, I finished in Singapore, but the trip was very complicated because I flew to Hawaii, then did the United Island Hopper, went to the Marshall Islands, the Federated States of Micronesia, all four states, then to Guam, Saipan, Palau, and then I was supposed to go to the Philippines. Had to cancel that because of the volcano. After the Philippines, I was supposed to go to Australia, but I had to cancel that because of the fires. And I had canceled that before I even departed. So after the Philippines, I had to figure out where I can go because uh, Palau only has five direct flights. And the virus had just been starting and percolating in China and really hadn't been in other regions at that point. So one of the five places was Macau, and I nixed that thinking, you know what, don't push it. I had already been to Korea, so I didn't want to go to Korea. So I ended up deciding I would go to Laos and not do a direct flight, but I had to fly from Palau back to Guam to Nagoya, Japan, where I spent the day, to Thailand, where I spent the day there, to Laos. And then from Laos, you know, traveling throughout the country, I went to Miramar, where I spent three weeks. I was supposed to fly at one point to Singapore. I had canceled that because Singapore's numbers had increased. I was going to go to India, but then when I was supposed to catch my flight to India, I found out that I was banned from entering India because I had been in Japan on February 8th. So by that point, Singapore's numbers had gone down. A friend recommended I go to Singapore. So I went to Singapore. And then when I was in Singapore, that's when the announcement of the European closing the borders, the Americans closing the borders to Europeans. So I had to cut my trip short and flew home through Germany. So that was my whole last trip. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a complicated trip. It, it kind of leads to the next thing I was going to ask about. I saw uh, the Point Sky from the pointsky.com Reader Hall of Fame. And it seems like someone that can make a trip like that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Can you comment on that a little bit? Well, you know, I adore Brian, I think, and his team. And Jasmine, who had written an article about me for Million Mile Secrets, or she worked at Million Mile Secrets. I don't think she wrote the article. But for me, it was a personal accomplishment mm-hmm. because I admire Brian and what he's 
done with the points guy. And so to me, that was like the black belt of points. And, you know, I, you think you're doing well, but then when you're acknowledged about the successes, and I've done a lot of trips that are equally as complicated as that, doing deals the whole way, because that's my forte is traveling well, but smart. I was personally satisfied. I took that as a huge compliment coming from the team because I think the whole team there is just really quite terrific. I agree. They produce a lot of great content. Very helpful. Yes. They're one of the blogs that I really admire. And so it was really very lovely of them to acknowledge that. But it was a very complicated trip. And the constant changing of the trip, I felt like, you know, having a really amazing group of friends. I belong to a WhatsApp group with some incredible people. And some of them I've never met. I'm not sure I would even know them in person, but they were so helpful and kind to me for giving me updates from the countries they're in and local on the ground. Smart tips of going to flying from Miramar to Calcutta, which I hadn't noticed a cheap flight, which was a great idea until they closed the border. You know, I moderate a small group called Traveling the World and just personal friends who are very accomplished travelers sending me messages, plus my stash of points. That combination allowed me to keep pivoting and then just great people at the airlines. I have to say one woman who helped me tremendously was a United representative who I guess doesn't even work there. And somehow I had her cell phone number. I don't even know how I have a cell phone number, but she's the one that told me to go to the airport when I couldn't get the United site to work. And, and that was a great tip. And I should have thought of that. That's tapping into an old network. You don't even remember how you got the number, but... If you give uh, me it, your number and I think you're knowledgeable, it goes into my master list for each company and you are part of my network when I need a resource. You're on call. You're going to get a text at some point. Exactly. How did you get started traveling so extensively? Was there a trip or something that started this passion to be so thorough in your travels? Well, when I was younger, my grandmother was a voracious traveler. I mean, she just consumed traveling and she would sit and devour tour books. And, you know, she was older and she would take various tour company books. And her brothers, though, were the most incredible travelers and they would send postcards. And many of them I had never met. And so they would give me their, I would get their postcards from places like Nepal and that seems so far and distant. And then I watched a show called Big Blue Marble. And then I had pen pals and stamp collections. And so again, I was constantly enjoying like these exotic places, so to speak. But then there was my mother, who was probably as good as I am with the deals. No one was, is like my mother. May she rest in peace. She was the queen of the deal because she did it pre-internet. And things are a lot easier with the internet. And she once did this deal that Eastern Airlines, which doesn't even exist anymore, had where you can travel 21 days anywhere Eastern flies, so long as you go in one direction. And I don't know how my mother managed to get tickets for a family of five on all these flights, but we went to Jamaica, Mexico, Bermuda, two places in Mexico, Acapulco, Mexico City, Bermuda, and then Las Vegas. And it was this crazy, can you imagine this? You know, we're, we're just a regular family mm -hmm. going like as if we were jet setters. And this was before airlines had limits on luggage and charged you for luggage. And so we had this giant box that we would haul with us with like Mexican sombreros, Jamaican palm tree leaf hats, 
stuffed animals from Circus Circus, which was then like a great hotel, a very fancy mm -hmm. hotel. And we would just keep dumping them into the, this giant, like what would look like, a, I guess, a wardrobe box. It's, it, it, was it, was the, it was the souvenir box. Yeah, it was just, we would just dump them in all in there and, and we would check it in. And the, the people on there didn't even bat an eye. And then mm -hmm. I did a post-college, you know, backpack trip you know, the iconic trip of $25 a day. And that was when the travel bug really, I was like, you know, I could do this. Like, I didn't know if I could do this without my family. And then once I realized I could do this, that was when there was no turning back. And then when I realized like I was eating cheese that wasn't really cheese that was processed, you know, the stuff that came with plastic around it versus mm -hmm. real cheese and didn't come out of a green can or ice cream that was this incredible gelato, not in this like half gallon box, I realized I had to see everything myself. I couldn't rely on other people for their opinions and tastes and that I wanted to see everything. And so I had always been traveling. And two and a half years ago, I developed cancer, thyroid cancer. After my surgery, I couldn't speak for five months. I had an immobile vocal cord. And my house had sold after my divorce. And it was this perfect time that I realized I could take what would be a crisis to most people, and I could turn it into the most incredible opportunity and travel. And if I didn't do it then, I probably would never do it. You know, it's kind of like now, like if you don't do those projects, you're never going to do those projects, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I decided to, to seize the moment. And once I started feeling a little bit better, I did a, a trial trip to El Salvador to see if I could manage it. And when I found like it was tough, but I could do it. I decided I was going to take a, two years to plan and travel as much as I could to epic locations and basically do my bucket list. And I, my key, like I must travel places, I pretty much visited when I finished um, Singapore. Let's switch over to the topic that we got in touch about originally. I had put out a, a uh, request for people to speak to those travelers who are thinking about trying to plan trips for after coronavirus as things start to wind down. And you got in touch offering to take the opposing view. Can you describe what you reached out to me with and, and just what that opposing view is? Yes. I'm somebody who's been to so many, you know, 139 UN countries or 194 countries, territories, disputed nations. I traveled for the last two years, pretty much every four to six weeks, give or take, sometimes less, but I'm not planning any trips now, no matter what the deal. And I look for the deal. I mean, I'm somebody who, when a friend said, oh, you could go to Easter Island because there are added flights and they're really cheap, I booked it in, in 10 minutes. Or when another friend emailed me and said, did you see this sale to Antarctica? It's 50% off. It's next month if you could do it. I booked it, like, immediately. Mm -hmm. So I'm somebody who loves a deal. It doesn't matter what the deal is now. I don't feel safe. I don't feel globally there's anyone giving a consistent opinion. I see it on Facebook. There's pressure on politicians to open up states or countries because people are hurting economically. I get that. And I'm not minimizing the dire financial situation that many people or companies are in. But if by opening too soon, I believe there's going to be another wave. And rather than biting the bullet and really buckling down and riding this out and getting things under control the way New Zealand did, I think we're opening ourselves up for a real problem. And I don't want to be part of that. Plus, we don't know which countries are going to open up 
say, whoopsie, made a mistake, shut down, and then you're stranded. Look at those boats that were like floating around on the sea and couldn't dock. And then what do you do? What if you go to a country and you get stuck there and you get sick? The medical care, you know, if you're going to go to first world countries, less of an issue, although they may not take you. But what if you're in a place in parts of Africa with dirt roads? That's not a place I want to get sick. So that's concerning to me. Will you have medical care? Will you have medical insurance? What about medical evacuation insurance? Just because countries say there are no deaths doesn't mean it's accurate. Are they reporting them? Are they testing them? Do they have access to test them? And what is the country doing to stop the virus? You know, I see the United States as a disaster. And I think Americans aren't going to be in for a rude awakening when they find they're banned from entering countries because we are such a mess that other countries are not going to want us coming to their country. And and I don't think even traveling domestically, which is the state that's handling the best, right? They're all fighting and all making little side deals. I think this is a time to really buckle down. And I, I think that we should be closing the borders and really closing and keeping this battle down. If we don't, do it. We're just going to go from one wave to the next, to the next, to the next. Well, it seems like people shouldn't take your opinion lightly because of two things. We've talked about your experience, obviously. You've been all over the world and done a lot of traveling and all types of travel. But then, as you mentioned, you're open to those deals. You like to find deals and you'd like to find opportunities. So it certainly says a lot that you don't have a comfort level for that anytime soon. I'm also, though, I want to just emphasize not a doctor. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. not like I have the secret, but you know, I do have my ear to the ground and I am connected into some of the most incredible travelers in the world. And I, I listen to what they have to say. And they're definitely within that network. There are definitely cowboys who are just insane. There are some of them, I think, who are still traveling. There, there's a, one or two of them that are still traveling out there. I'm not sure how, but they still are. And I'm just not willing to take that chance because when I take a risk, it's a calculated risk. And t- look, I am sure now that I've said this, I'm going to walk into something where people are going to, oh, you got yourself into trouble. That could happen. But there's definitely risks where like I live down the block from that hospital that's in the media all the time in Brooklyn. That's all the ambulance are by. I see it on a regular basis. And then I see people right by the hospital walking, not social distancing, and they're oblivious. And I think it's a lack of leadership from our country and not having a proper CDC. You know, you build your infrastructure from the beginning so that when the problem happens, you are prepared. It's kind of like what I said with my trip. I was able to pivot so well because I had built the infrastructure. I had Mm -hmm. figured out the tools I needed. So along the way, if there were problems, I mean, one of the things I didn't mention was I use Global Rescue as my evacuation service and extraction service. So I was communicating with them the whole way about what was happening between the virus what was happening with the fires? Should I go to the Philippines? Should I not go to the Philippines? Their knowledge base was so incredible. I mean, that I would never have access to as a regular mortal, but I was relying on the experts. So with our situation now, what sort of indicator would you be waiting for that would give you the comfort level to look at traveling again? I need a vaccine or medicine. It could be medicine like controlling it like malaria or a Mm. vaccine to prevent it. I don't need to be an early adopter. I want to see what happens when the doors open and what the waves are. Is Both there internationally to... and, and domestically as far as yeah, I want states to see opening happens. and countries opening. Yeah, let other people test. Let them mm-hmm. figure it out. Okay. I, I'm not willing to take a chance. So if I, I want to see what happens when the doors open. 
and the gates, or the gates, I should say, open and in domestically and internationally. And let's see what happened. Yeah, we've discussed on previous shows ways to mitigate if you are going to travel, kind of mitigate your risk. You mentioned travel insurance. I think we've talked a little bit about refundable trip plans with airlines and things like that. So there's a few steps to take there, but it's certainly nothing at the level you're talking about. Right. But the problem with the refundable, where usually I would have felt comfortable And I think that's part of the problem where companies made a misstep where, yes, maybe if there was a good deal and they said refundable, I would have bought into it and said, you know what, whatever. If it doesn't work, I'll just cancel. But when companies start changing the traditional definitions of common terms like refundable and cancellation and what they mean and splicing and dicing them, that gives me pause for concern. You know, so the airlines were not refunding refundable trips. DOT had to step in. That's not cool. And then there are some airlines who are saying, well, it's not a cancellation if we reschedule in X hours. Well, not really true because it's a cancellation. If you do that, it impacts your trip. If you're with a tour company, your hotels, That's not cool. And that impacts your credit card insurance stepping in as well, or your insurance. So I think we need to go back to using the traditional terms of refundable and cancellation, meaning refundable, meaning you have X hours to refund it or time and you get your money back. So, you know, if you know you can refund it or cancel, that's a very different story because then you can book it and wait and see. And I think companies are making a very big mistake by playing around, letting the lawyers play around with their definitions. Instead of cut and dry refunds, credits, or expiring credits, or anything in between all of your money back and and nothing, it can be very confusing for the traveler, I think. Right. And let's say you get a credit and then the company goes belly up. Then what? Then get in line with the creditors or fight with your insurance company. And you know, I know I didn't realize that none of the credit cards covered pandemics under trip cancellation insurance. You know, when you charge on a credit card, I had no idea. Now I was lucky. I had no issues getting any of the companies. So I got lucky. But if I had like thousands of dollars or, you know, and I'm also one person, I didn't, wasn't traveling with a family of five, you know, to expensive vacations that could have been very complicated and very costly. Are you willing to risk, you know, five, $10,000. And for somebody who it's a trip of a lifetime, That's expensive. Yeah, I agree. What you mentioned about watching what happens in other places when they start to ease concerns and kind of getting the data from there, I think that makes a lot of sense. Is there another piece of information that would make you change your thoughts on this? I would like to see any money that companies accept going into escrow accounts. I would like to see the government requiring it. I know Untamed Borders mentioned this recently on some thing that they did where Anybody who was traveling with them could get a refund, but not to worry because the UK requires the monies to go into an escrow account. And that's really nice because then you know that money is secure until you take your trip or you don't take your trip. And I think companies need to start putting money in escrow accounts to preserve that and also to make sure that creditors can't get their hands on it if a company does go belly up. You know, I think how companies handle this situation Customers are going to have a good memory, and there are plenty of companies who have handled it really well. Hilton is one of them. They canceled my Conrad Singapore. No problem. Full refund. No issue. Hyatt also is doing that. IHG, amazing. 
And I think people are going to remember that because when they are taking a risk and maybe booking something that is refundable, they're going to remember who really meant refundable for refundable versus refundable, but not always. There shouldn't be a footnote by the word refundable. Yeah, don't make people find the loopholes. Right. And I always want to say to companies, that's why I think some of the people in the frequent flyer world abuse some of it because when they feel like the companies are doing loopholes on their end, it opens the door for customers to do loopholes. And I think the companies complain about customers who exploit loopholes, but yet they do the same thing when they do these crazy things about this word refundable doesn't really mean refundable. So I think if you want customers to treat the company right, the company also has to treat the customer correctly. Agreed. Well, thank you for taking the opposing view here. I think your take on this, certainly as somebody with the experience that you have, will be very helpful to the listeners. So I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I hope it's helpful. You know, it's just a personal opinion. and But it's a viewpoint from someone with certainly experience and and you are someone that wants to go back and travel again. So it, I think it counts for a lot. But well, um, thank you. We'll switch away from coronavirus. I really like to finish with some actionable tips and advice. The show is about helping people travel worry-free. Any general essential tips for traveling that you'd like to share? Well, I think one is always being prepared. It, it goes back to being prepared. So even if I'm going to a cold weather place or warm weather place, bring one outfit of the opposite location. Not heavy, but like where I could layer. Mm -hmm. So I will bring, if I, even if I'm going to a warm weather place, like a, a lightweight pair hat or gloves or a polar fleece that to layer on. And so that this way, I'm never caught if there's a change in temperature. And I do the same with medicine. When I'm traveling, I always bring medicine along for food poisoning. I travel with mm -hmm. powdered Pedialyte packets, which have saved me more times than anything else. That stuff is great. So it's again- For dehydration? Is yeah, that the for idea dehydration. There? That stuff you take, I don't know if you've seen it, but there are these like long tubes of powdered Pedialyte and you just dump it into a bottle of water, okay. shake it, yeah. and you rehydrate it. And I have, I mean, when you're in a place where you can't get Pedialyte in every country, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And then I also bring like water shoes. So when I'm hiking, a lot of times I don't want to ruin my boots and having those water shoes with me makes a big difference. Any mistakes that you see a lot of travelers make that you can help them avoid? One, I always bring multiple credit cards and ATM cards. So if a machine eats my card, I have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. And um, not, also not every country takes the same credit card. So I always have an Amex, a Visa, and a MasterCard with me. Confirming all flight times, especially the small airlines, the same for luggage weight. I have definitely, even with confirming airlines, they change their flights. And it's not like an American Airlines where you get a notice on your app. So double checking, I've been stranded in airports before where the airline changed the flight, didn't notify me, and I had confirmed the flight and had no idea. So checking even the morning of the flight. Don't pack like you're going on a fashion shoot. No one dresses like Vogue layouts on a safari. <laughs> but I think the most important thing is really realizing that the difference between a tourist and a traveler is knowing things are not gonna go perfectly. It never does. As even if you have the best travel agent, things happen, it's not perfect. And it's kind of learning to go with the flow and figuring out things and figuring out how to make it work rather than ruining your entire trip over the aggravation of it. Because you can like spend so much time fighting about the issue that it destroys the trip rather than embracing like in Madagascar, my flight took off without me. 
the travel agency through the credit card made a mistake and used their email address instead of my email address. So when the flight changed, I didn't know about it, even though I confirmed with them the night before. And so the whole reason I went was to go to the baobab trees. And I now couldn't because there was no flight. I was really upset. And the next flight was to go to someplace called Noisy Bay. I never even heard of it at the time. It turned out to be delightful. And there was a certain point where you just have to suck it up. And I was like, okay, whatever. I have no choice. I'm going to go. And I embraced it. And I ended up having a marvelous time. Stayed at this really beautiful hotel. The hotel heard what happened and they went above and beyond. They, you know, for dinner, I had the biggest shrimp. I, massages were $40 for two hours, which was amazing. Swam mm. with tortoises and, and saw whales. It was amazing. It was not what I expected, but it was a different amazing. And I think learning to embrace that will make your trip so much better. That's great. And how about myths? What do you hear travelers say over and over misconceptions that you can help debunk? Well, I think places that seem dangerous aren't if you work with experts. Like I used a great guide in Eritrea and, and Somaliland and it everything was fantastic because I had great people on the ground helping me. I think also um, solo woman, you know, if you're uncomfortable, I find hiring a guide mm. so that I'm always with someone, but yet I'm traveling by myself. And I'm getting that mm -hmm. expertise as well really makes a big difference. And I, I tend to like it. The guide can drive as well. So it's one person rather than team. And then it's not really a myth, but I think travel for enjoyment versus getting the Instagram picture. Mm -hmm. I think too many people these days are traveling for Instagram and they just go from one place to the next to get the photo rather than enjoying it. And finally, is there a final big idea piece of advice that you'd like to give to the listeners? Well, my whole premise is about traveling well, but smart. And so what I always recommend to people is pick your destination based on the deal rather than I want to go to X place. So mm -hmm. when I went to Antarctica, I went because Quark was having a 50% off sale. And going to Antarctica had been off the table because I thought it was going to be really too expensive. But when the opportunity arise, arose, I quickly changed where I would go rather than saying, oh, I want to go to this place. Then don't wait because you never know what's going to happen like now, pandemic. There is never the perfect time to travel, so you have to seize it. Go off the beaten path because it's going to be cheaper. Rather than again saying like, I want to go to X place in Paris, maybe go out of the city and figure out ways to, sometimes I will hotel hop to get the deal. Picking places based on currency, use frequent flyer points, don't hoard them for a rainy day. Because if you don't use them, you lose them or they devaluate. And then another thing I do is I use discounted gift cards for different hotels. But don't go too heavy into them because God forbid, like especially now, we don't know what companies are going to go out of business. So be cautious of that. Those are my best. But my whole thing is about how can you travel well but smart. It's great advice. What's the first destination after this is all done? Well, like I mentioned, I'm going to take a wait and see approach. I think it's too soon to say but I'm likely to go to the Pacific Ocean territories if they will let me in the country. I think those countries are more isolated, so less prone to the virus, although they did have a lot of Chinese tourists, but I think they have shut down much quicker. And so I'm hoping, but I'm still taking a wait and see approach to see what happens. It's too soon for me to tell really, but that's where I'm leaning towards. And what's the best place where people can find your work online? JaniceLintz.com. 
J-A-N-I-C-E-L-I-N-T-Z.com. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. You've provided a lot of great information and I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and especially to give an opposite viewpoint. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation today. Remember, there will be show notes and links. You can find links to show notes from our Twitter page. Our Twitter handle is Safe Travels FM. I have a small favor to ask. This is a new show, and so far feedback has been great, but we could use a good boost. There are a lot of ways that you can help. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast player app. You can rate us on the Apple Podcast app. You can share it with friends. You can share it to social media. All of these things would help. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. Safe travels.